welcome to the School of Travel's podcast. I'm your host, Becky Gillespie, and each week I bring you stories of how travel can truly change your life if you take the chance to get out on the road and step out of your comfort zone. My guests also share travel tips and lessons they've learned along the way, which I hope inspires you to let travel be your teacher. Welcome to a very special bonus episode about the Rickshaw Challenge. And I'm going to call this episode 13B, B for bonus, because I've actually interviewed a few people after this. The episode numbers are a little different, so we're going to stick with 13B. And this is a solo episode where I'm going to talk about my Rickshaw Challenge experience. So I want to break this episode down into four parts. First, the inspiration for why I did the Rickshaw Challenge. The second part is planning for the trip. Then I'll talk about the Rickshaw Challenge, what it is, and my experience. And then I'll end with some reflections. So sit back and relax. Grab some popcorn. Grab a nice drink. And I hope that you're ready to hear about this. Let's go on an adventure together. First of all, the inspiration for this event came about four years ago for me. I was trolling around YouTube, as I sometimes do while I'm working, found this documentary called The Rickshaw Run, run by a guy named Jack Harries, who his YouTube channel is called Jack's Gap, but it's under Jack Harries. And at the time, this was now, um, this came out in December 2013. He had taken this kind of impromptu trip with his twin brother, Finn, and five other friends of his from childhood and other YouTubers, actually. Uh, They organized this trip They organized this trip on a different company's rickshaw challenge, which is actually called the Rickshaw Run. And they all had cameras the whole time, and it's a four-part documentary series. The total comes to about an hour, and it's really well done, so adventurous. And actually, the theme song for my podcast came from part four of that documentary. So if you're really interested, um, I definitely encourage you to have a look. It is so much fun to just escape into their world. And I thought when I watched it, wow, that is such a crazy adventure. I don't know how I'm ever going to find friends that would do that with me, though, let alone five of them. I mean, they had three rickshaws with seven guys. So, and their rickshaw uh, experience was almost three weeks long, and it was 3,500 kilometers, whereas my experience was only just under 1,000. And they were more in the northern part of India, which I now, having having been to the southern part of India for this challenge, and I've been to the north before, I can say that the south is is more chill than the north. So they had it a lot harder, but they definitely inspired me. And last August, I actually met someone in Bulgaria at a co-working space, and he is the kind of guy who loves adventure trips. And about a month after I left the place where I'd met him, he posted on a Facebook group inviting people to join him right after Christmas on what is called the Rickshaw Challenge. I did some research on the Rickshaw Challenge, which is run by a group called the Travel Scientists. And actually, it's interesting. The Rickshaw Challenge company, which before it used to be called the Indian Auto Rickshaw Challenge, they started the same month as the Rickshaw Run, which is run by this company called the Adventurists. And The Rickshaw Challenge was actually started by an Indian man, and he um, did his first run in the southern part of India, which is actually the same run that we did this past December, and that run is called the Classic Run, and it's 
mostly in the state of Tamil Nadu, and it starts in Chennai. We ended in Trivandrum. So I found it really interesting when I did the research that I thought this rickshaw challenge was kind of a like a ripoff or a more recent copy of the rickshaw run. For some reason, I thought that, but they started in the same month in 2006. So this rickshaw challenge has been running for about 13 years, and um, you know they're very familiar with the route that we did. So that was my initial inspiration. This guy named Matthias sent out a uh, an invitation for everybody, and I, I thought, wow, here's my chance. Like, here's my chance to join in and find people that are that are crazy enough to do it with me, and let's go. This brings me to part two of this episode, planning for the trip. Whenever you go on an adventure trip, there's always extra planning. There's extra tools and special things you need to buy. Uh, you have to. It depends where you're going, but sometimes you've got to get the visa, or you need to make sure uh, that you know you understand some of the customs, some of the um, some of the things that you're going to need to prep for. I didn't do a great job of that for, for the for the rickshaw challenge, I will say. Um, I had a friend originally who I had invited to come with me, and her name is Anna. And she is really good at this kind of thing. She's really good at checking all the things we need to do, double-checking them, and finding out you know exactly how every day is going to go. At first, she was doing that on behalf of the team. But then she ended up applying for a job. Uh, this was around September. The trip was due to start uh, December 28th, and we talked, I invited Anna in August, we talked about this until about the end of September, early October she decided to go, and, uh, but then like in maybe the end of October, early November, she applied for a job that would have started right after the new year, and she thought she would hear back from the company about whether she she actually got the job because there's only one job going and she got into the final round, but she didn't hear back from them and she's waiting and waiting. And I said, Anna, like we have to pay, we have to send in all this information to them. And I need to know because I need to make a team. And she was, was kind of keeping me on the hook for a while on the hook. And then finally I said, you need to tell me, you need to tell me by the end of November if you can go. Because that was kind of the last day that we were supposed to pay or send in all the information. Because as you can imagine, the company organizing everything, the travel scientists, they had to make our rickshaw. We had to send in a design for the rickshaw, which I ended up finding a version of on the internet and just said, can you make it something like this? I'm not an artistic person, unfortunately. So that's how the design came about. And I was doing a lot of things on my own while waiting for Anna. But then eventually Anna decided that she couldn't join because it was a bigger, it would be a much bigger deal to get the job. And I understood and I was glad that she gave me the final say. Uh, in the meantime, I was looking for a third member of our team because it would be, it would be much easier with three. So wasn't having a lot of luck. I'd asked a lot of people and I was given various answers. There were a few people I was very interested in, in having with me. But, you know, the problem was it was a trip that was going to start right after Christmas over the new year. It ended January 6th. It was in India. And if I'm asking friends from the U.S., that's a really big thing to ask because often they're just getting time off to see family, things like that. So yeah, that was that was a challenge. It just wasn't working out. Um, so 
I ended up emailing the organizer of Travel Scientists and I said, do you know anybody who is looking for a team? And he came back with one name, a guy named Peter. And I said, all right, I'm going to email Peter. I have known nothing about his situation. I just have his name. Turns out Peter was in his 50s and was a bricklayer from Australia who had other friends that had already signed up for the challenge. But like me, because Matthias had two guys already in his rickshaw, he was like a spillover person and he needed to be in another car. And that was the same thing as me. And we started, we, we exchanged a few emails. I had a couple of calls with him and Peter sounded like he really knew how to drive. He was very, a very honorable and dedicated type of person. I could get that from the phone calls with him. And but the problem was Peter didn't have a computer at the time. He was in the process of getting a new one and his credit card was also being renewed because his identity had been stolen. So I'm trying to plan this at the last minute with someone without a computer or a credit card. <laughs> so it, it ended up working out. Peter joined the team and I decided to call our team the nice to meet you's because it was going to be Peter. And it turns out Matthias is rickshaw had found another guy. His name is Nat. And I'll refer to Nat in a couple of the audio clips I'm going to put with this episode. Um, so Nat was a very interesting case. I'm actually going to now play an audio clip for you of me arriving in India. And let's start there where I am ready to go and meet Peter. Good morning from Chennai. I arrived about 1 a.m. last night and made it through the immigration line pretty well, but the line was quite long and everyone who had a very young child or um, was being pushed in a wheelchair, they, they got, got in front of us and it was kind of a slow process um, and we were all tired, but we made it in and my driver was maybe the fastest taxi driver on the planet but he was really nice and I got a prepaid taxi after exchanging some, actually after using the ATM at the airport and getting some smaller bills. Everybody also wants a tip here. So if you ever come to India, make sure that you get small change at the airport. It's actually very hard to get Indian rupee outside of India. So uh, it's best when you first come in make sure that you'll be able to tip people because you don't want to be tipping them with large bill increments or anything else. But um, yeah, I met my teammate, Peter, very nice guy. I, I unfortunately had to wake him up at like two in the morning when I came into the hotel room. Um, but he's kind of jet lagged and uh, he's, his sleep schedule is not normal right now because he just came in from Australia. And uh, we still have no idea where our potentially third teammate is. His name is Nat. You're going to hear me talking about Nat from time to time, especially how unreliable <laughs> with communication Nat has been throughout this whole process. So uh, I just got an update from our friends in a different rickshaw, and they have not heard from him either. So it's going to be a mystery all day as to whether he's coming and he might even come tomorrow. So we're really not sure what's going on with him, but we'll find out. We'll know by tomorrow at noon, whether he's coming or not. So I wanted to introduce you to our third member, Nat, with that clip that I made the first morning after meeting Peter. Um, Nat was 
I was told by the friends that knew Nat and had met him in person that he was a very, very wonderful and nice person, probably one of the nicest people you'd ever meet. But he was also the kind of person that you would never know where or when he was going to show up until the very last minute. And he was notorious for being a last minute person who would just appear. I was concerned, though, because uh, I had only been able to get a hold of Nat. I was on the phone with him one time and he said, I'll call you back in 20 minutes. And he never did, nor would he answer the phone after I tried many times. He later told me he'd been in a meeting, but um, often I would send him Facebook messages or um, WhatsApp messages and he wouldn't even read the message. And I couldn't figure out why he was being so different when I would speak with him and he made all these promises and told me his mother was a doctor and she would send all this and she, he would bring all this medicine and if there was anything I needed, he would bring it and he would agree to pay me because I paid for all three of us in advance. And, um, and then I would ask him for all these documents in a really broken down way that was very easy to understand. And he would just not reply and he wouldn't send anything. Um, but you know, a few days would go by, a week would go by, and then I would hear from him again, and he would promise me things all, all over again. So by the time we were due to go on this trip, I had not heard from Nat in about 10 days, and I had never received documents from him, so I had gotten, I had made his picture for that he needed for the badge as a teammate from this crazy photo I found of him on his Facebook account. And that was all gonna be ready, the travel scientist didn't seem to have a problem with the fact that we didn't have all the information on him. I guess we assumed that we would get it from him when he got on the ground in India. And uh, his friends, I had, of course, started asking his friends to get in touch with him, thinking, oh, he's just ignoring me. I thought, oh, I don't know what he's doing. I don't know why he's ignoring me. But this was Nat. This was the third member of the team. So um, it was going to be the nice to meet you's team because we'd all be meeting each other for the first time. But I felt that that was going to be okay because Peter had friends on the trip in another rickshaw and Nat and I would also have the same. So, all right, we're going to, I'm going to play the next audio clip and you're going to find out what happened with Nat. So it's officially day one of our rickshaw challenge and at 10 a.m. this morning, we found out that our third person in our team, Nat, is not coming. And he sent an email or like a text message to another guy in a different rickshaw named Mike that I also just met this morning and told him. So we were never told directly. <laughs> but um, as someone told me this morning on the rickshaw challenge team, when you have expectations, that's when you have stress. So I have to admit I was pretty stressed about it all. and. I'm glad to know the answer now um, and trying not to be angry about it, but um, hopefully we'll get paid by Nat anyway because it was so last minute. Um, and so we had our briefing with the Rickshaw Challenge company this morning and we all went into like a ballroom at the hotel. And it was funny, Peter and I walked right in right before they called our team name. We're the last team in the documents. so. We're called the nice to meet yous. That's our team name. And it has been nice to meet Peter, I must say. Peter, are you ready for this challenge? Yeah, I'm pumped. You're pumped. Yay, great. We're on our way now to the rickshaw driver training. And uh, it's going to be, we have to say we're both a little bit scared. Um, 
I didn't know why I didn't think about this, but apparently the rickshaw is a manual drive and I've never driven a manual car. Uh, and it's, so I'm gonna learn everything new today and hopefully it's all gonna be fine. And, and we were also told that we have to drive the rickshaw back to our hotel, which is a 45 minute drive or more with a rickshaw. So Peter's laughing. He's like, yep, that's going to be uh, in the Chennai, the busy streets of Chennai. That's going to be like a crazy, a crazy ask. But we've, we've got to learn the horn. We've got to learn. I, I just see a guy to my left barefoot driving his rickshaw. We did put on some sturdy shoes before we left the hotel. But uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll report back after we finish our first driver's training. It's just going to be the two of us on this trip. So we have each other. We're excited. Peter, any thoughts from you? How are you feeling about this rickshaw challenge at the moment? I'm feeling very excited. Yeah, a bit nervous, but no, I'm excited. It's going to be great. I think it's going to be great too. Why did you want to do this challenge in the first place, Peter? Oh, well, it's talked into it, talked into it by friends, but yeah, just to see India, a different way of seeing India. Yeah. First time here, so yeah, I think yeah, it's a real adventure, which I like. Be up, we'll be up in a bed every day. You know, um, you know, it won't be for the faint-hearted, but yeah, no, that's what I like. Like sort of the adventurous part of it. So that's why I signed up. That's so but, cool. Yeah. You are adventurous, having never been to India before. I've been twice, but look, I can tell you, I was never driving a rickshaw yeah. at that time. Thank you for driving well, us to our rickshaw training, sir. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we're gonna drive the auto rickshaw right here auto for ten days. Ten days. <laughs> <laughs> we, we drive it. Yeah. We across. We go to tri Trivandrum. We cool. finish. Yeah. <laughs> Easier. Yeah. Easier. We we finish. We finish January sixth. January sixth. Yeah. Seems like a long way away, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, we've never driven a rickshaw before, sir. <laughs> so, we have to see what happens, but you're driving us to our training. <laughs> yes. <laughs> 1,000 Ks. <laughs> so, as you just heard, Nat never did show up which meant we had two people to do the entire thousand kilometers and one of us, me, had never driven a manual car or been on that other side of the road or, and we had another person in our car who had never been to India. Uh, and so I have to say that I later found out Nat said that he had two different family members who came down with different health conditions over the Christmas break and he decided to stay back in Mexico and and deal with them but I, I don't understand why he never contacted me directly having two different ways to get in touch with me and we'd spoken several times so I just have to say Nat you still owe me the money for the trip and you know how to PayPal me I've given you my PayPal address uh, many times and he's told me since about seven times that he would pay me and he still has not so so Nat, I do hope that your family members are feeling better, but I think that you should have sent me the money and just been good with your word. So what's funny about the our interview with the guy in the taxi was that 
He, his father actually was a rickshaw driver. And by this point, knowing that we're headed to the training grounds and we only have two of us, I actually tried to recruit the guy. I was willing, like, just to see if he wanted to go on the adventure. I, we tried to get our Uber driver to join us for 10 days. Uh, I mean, his dad was a rickshaw driver. He had experience with that, and uh, he was not interested. We were unable to recruit him off the streets. So, um, but that was, so the planning of the trip was a bit of a, you know, it was very stressful. It was a bit of a disaster. Uh, we were the last team on the list. So every time we did roll call every morning, we were the last team because we'd, we'd taken so long to get everything together. I will say, though, that Peter was a really great guy. He was very uh, dependable and just, you know, he was a really good driver. He turned out to, you know, get used to the rickshaw pretty quickly. And um, I definitely felt I could trust him. And I thought, okay, we're, it's going to be an adventure. We're going to be able to do this. And we, by that point, were getting ready to get started. I will tell you um, before the next audio clip that the training ground was like a, a, a big, huge parking lot with different tree barriers, essentially. And a lot of people seemed to catch on pretty quickly. It had the, it had the engine of a lawnmower. And you could really go probably about 30 kilometers an hour, maybe 40 if you really pushed it. Actually, our speedometer never worked, so we never knew what we were doing. But um, there, it was definitely uh, a manual rickshaw. And the thing about these rickshaws is that uh, you had to, when you filled up at a gas station, you had to make sure that you had 50 milliliters of oil to every liter of gas. And that mix was really important, and you had to explain it every gas station that you went to. If you got it wrong, if it, there, if it didn't mix well enough, your car would essentially just, the gas line would just like get clogged and, and really soupy, goopy, and you would just stall out on the side of the road or in the middle of the road. Um, and it really mattered. And so we, we had to get that right. And right away, we were told when we left the training ground after about at the maximum of an, of an hour being with this rickshaw, Less than that, I would say. Um, they're like, okay, you need to go to a gas station and fill up your rickshaw so that you're ready for tomorrow morning. And right away, people were getting the mix wrong or they didn't listen and ran out of gas before they even got back. And so they're calling this. Um, the travel scientist arranged for a mechanic car, essentially, to be with us all the time. But not there weren't enough mechanic cars for every rickshaw. There were 32 rickshaws. So, you know, sometimes you'd have to wait if another car was already having problems. So um, <laughs> we basically wanted to make sure we got this right. But we got to a gas station. We were all excited. We pulled in, getting out of the crazy Chennai traffic, which Chennai is the third biggest city in India. And here we were, like, ready and expected to drive um, through the traffic of the late afternoon back to our hotel, which had been a 45-minute drive to get there with Uber. So um, we get to the first gas station and they don't have oil. We get to the second gas station and they don't have gas. And we at the time had not figured out that there was Wi-Fi. There was a, a Wi-Fi, a portable Wi-Fi that was attached in every rickshaw and you just had to kind of turn it on. And so we were going blind the first day. We didn't have um, a map that of the city that was making any sense to us. So we just kept going, okay, where is that? Where is that? And we had to try to 
basically find our way back to the hotel without a map. And, you know, you kind of get turned around when you stop at different gas stations. So finally, the third time was the charm. We got the right mix. And I will be posting some photos on the schooloftravels.com website where you can see a picture of Peter and I with the, with the first guys at the gas station. I felt so proud of ourselves. And Peter ended up driving um, the whole way back. I was still feeling really shaky and heavy Chennai traffic for me was not the best place to start. So shout out to Peter for getting us back to that hotel uh, the first day. Um, but I, I turned out to be um, quite a good navigator once we got the um, Wi-Fi working. So, okay, now I'm going to take you to the start of the official day one. So we actually drove, There was this was a 10-day trip, and we drove eight of those days. But day one was considered the day after training. So whenever you hear me referring to the days, that is what I mean. So here we are going back to day one, getting ready to start. All right, it's the official start of our journey. We're leaving the city today. You can hear the sound of the motors behind me. And we are, I'm looking at two Teletubbies, uh, a co-working man in front of me, all in orange, some um, 70s free love disco people. There's all kinds of uh, fun costumes. I'm personally wearing a unicorn wig, which I, I am privy to. Oh, look at this parrot. That's cool. <laughs> all right, we're about to take our first uh, real adventure, let's say. So as you can hear, all of the rickshaws in the background there are getting ready to go. I think now would be a good time to Google auto rickshaw, and you'll most likely see the classic green and yellow versions of them that are really common to see around India. They're also common around most parts of Asia. They have different names in different countries. Tuk-tuk is a common one in Thailand. And this is what we were driving. We were not driving, we were not pulling rickshaws. It was not like one of the ones that a person pulls, you know, behind them. Um, so my parents thought that at one point and I said, no, no, I'm not going to be doing a thousand kilometers of that. I want to take you now through what a typical day was on the rickshaw challenge. And let me also say before I, I give you the schedule that we did stay in hotels every night. There were three different packages on the rickshaw challenge and we booked the deluxe one because we wanted to stay in hotels that the travel scientists would book for us. They're the cheapest option. You found the hotels for yourself and you it was more like a do-it-yourself plan. But it really makes sense to just stay in the hotels that these different um, rickshaw operator packages will offer because you had we had to start at a hotel and end at a hotel anyway. So when you're done with a long day of driving, the last thing you really want to do is then find your own accommodation and you're away from the rest of the group. And I think a lot of people do this trip for the group and to meet people. So it made sense to stay at these hotels. And the hotels actually were quite nice. They A lot of them... Um, a few of them had swimming pools, which I think none of us were expecting. We thought we'd be really roughing it and staying, even though we, it was deluxe, quote unquote, we'd be in basic accommodation. But no, I mean, the hotels had restaurants, they had bars. They were not five-star hotels uh, under most people's definitions. I'd say three-star to four-star but they had a lot more than we thought they would. And it was um, pretty comfortable, especially for some of these small towns that we stayed in. 
And in fact, the despite how um, exciting some of these hotels were or were not, they did um, you know provide a comfortable place in, in what could be very tiny towns. So I think the travel scientists, they did a good job at finding hotels for us. It was challenging, though, if you were a team of three, because often the hotel rooms only had two beds, and the third person was on a rollaway bed. And when I started to see this, I, I realized that it was actually a pretty good thing that it was just Peter and I, because, you know, there, there'd be a constant negotiation of like, who's on the rollaway bed now? And, you know, the three of us would have been pretty tight in these rooms, I think. And so Peter and I never had to worry about that. So that that's kind of how the hotel and the, the booking and the accommodation works on these challenges. So we started every typical day on the challenge at 7 a.m. Breakfast would be served in the hotel restaurant and you could kind of do what you wanted to do. You had to get your luggage downstairs around 7 a.m. as well so that the, the mechanics and the operating team with the travel scientists could put your luggage, your big rollaway luggage, in the big truck that they would transport everything in. Uh, you always wanted to have with you in the rickshaw your most precious things. Like I always had my passport. I always had uh, my all the money I had with me and credit cards and things like that. Uh, a water bottle was always essential. One that the driver could easily access. And you could buy water along the way, but we just tried our best to make sure we had enough. It was hot, so we wanted to stay hydrated. That was always important. But... 7 a.m., your big luggage had to be downstairs, and then at 8 a.m. every morning, we would gather in the lobby for the daily briefing of where things to look out for along the route that we would have. We'd get these um, like four or five page packets of, of our day every morning, and it would say, this, these are the different towns you have to stop in, and there would be challenges. There were several different challenges, sometimes just two or three on the day, sometimes five, and there were often there was often a gas challenge where you had to go to a specific gas station and then keep the receipt from that gas station showing that you found it. Other times you'd have to find out um, specific information at different temples and like um, you know what is Shiva holding in his hand and what does that represent or find this certain temple and then take a picture of your rickshaw and the team in front of it. I reread, I misread that once and um, like forgot to have the rickshaw in it. And then we had to repose and get our, get our rickshaw back and all that stuff so we could complete the challenge successfully. And then we had a Facebook group where we would post these photos as proof that we had done the challenge. Um, so that was, that was a lot of fun. That made things more interesting. You didn't have to do any of the challenges if you didn't want to. We were told that there'd be, you know, a grand, a grand prize winner and like second, third place would get something, but none of us knew throughout this, this, um, adventure, how many points, like how many points we had, like who was in the lead. We never knew the whole time. We started to kind of tell ourselves, oh, it must be this team because they've been doing so well. And like sometimes you had to get special items from temples and they'd be worth bonus points and things like that. So some teams really got into it. And I will say it, it I think they wanted us to do it, A, to make things a lot more interesting and challenging during the day, but B, to delay the time that we would get to our next hotel. Because oftentimes the hotel wasn't ready for us or, you know, you want to get you don't want everybody coming in at the same time things like that 
So Google Maps has made it really easy by checking, the, by using the Wi-Fi in the rickshaw to just follow what Google Maps says and maybe everybody can get there around the same time. But these challenges um, definitely made things interesting and it made us interact with locals a lot more. We had to ask for a lot of information and <laughs> I'll never forget that the funniest experience um, uh, you'll hear about the most interesting thing that happened to Peter and I at the end of this this episode. But the the funniest challenge we had was t- to stop at the local police station and ask what the guy's name was, who was in charge and operating and like who was managing it that day, and also what the that police station was like specialized in, and. I thought that's kind of a strange question, but we end up going to this, what we think is the police station. And the guy in charge was just not having it. He was not happy that these crazy teams of non-Indian people are coming into his police station and asking questions that are taking up his precious time. Now, I don't know how much was going on crime-wise that day in their town, but I mean, there were at least six guys just standing around um, pretty amused by us asking these questions. And the guy just, he he actually asked for the phone number of the travel scientist from me and called them in front of me and said, I can't believe you're thinking of having 32 teams stop by here and ask all these questions for me and blah, blah, blah. And in the meantime, like there was one more team with us and we're like still trying to figure out what the answers might be, even though this guy is not happy. And we're like, okay, yeah. And I'm looking at his badge, like writing his name down. And then I ask him like, Okay, I understand. I'm really, really sorry. We're leaving, but what do you? Could you tell me what you think this police station is uh, specializes in? And he looks up and he points above us, and we had been standing next to this tree with like giant fruit bats in it. And he's like, "Well, these fruit bats are endangered, and they're really like special to this area. And these fruit bats are always up in this tree, and we watch over them." And I'm like, "Maybe that's the answer." <laughs> I write it down. And but I'm still trying to apologize. And the other team, um, this team of two guys, has like walked away, and they're they're getting back to their rickshaw because we know we have to leave. And Peter is heading to our rickshaw to kind of pull it around and get ready. And I start, I get into the rickshaw in the back seat, and then I hear the police, the chief, say, "Hey, one more minute, come back here." And I'm like, "Oh, he's got one more question." And I come back, and he wants like just a pic. He wants to take a photo of like where it says that we had to talk to him on the packet that we got. And I turn around to go back, and Peter has driven away. <laughs> he is no longer there, and I I can't see the other team either. They've driven off because I I think Peter thought I was in the back seat, and he didn't realize I wasn't. And so I just I have my phone with me. But it doesn't, I don't have a local SIM card. I can't actually make phone calls. But I, uh, and I don't have Wi-Fi anymore either because the Wi-Fi just drove off. So I just remain calm and I'm thinking, eventually if Peter's talking to me in the back seat and I don't answer for long enough, he'll realize that I'm not there. (laughs) Maybe he'll realize where I am. So I just start walking down the main road and I'm trying to plan my new life in this town that I may never be getting out of. And uh, about... Five minutes later, from around the corner, longer than I thought it would be, Peter came back. And I was a little bit, by then, getting a little bit scared. I was like, why did you leave me? You know, half joking, but also half serious. (laughs) And then I got back in the car. It turned out to be one of the funniest stories, but some of these challenges could really lead you to funny places. Um, So after you completed these challenges and you got through, we usually had to 
fill up our gas tank three times a day. Um, that first day, for example, headed to Pondicherry, was a, it said about a 155 kilometer drive. So um, you usually on the packet, it would tell you your flag down time, which is the time that they would like you to get to the next destination. And um, it's usually around 6.30, sometimes 6 p.m. Obviously, it would be very dangerous to be driving once it gets dark. There's not a lot of natural light, all that stuff. So um, that's why. And you, you need to get to the hotel. You would find your bag, which they already have waiting for you in the lobby. You'd get your new room number and you would check in. Then depending on it, whether it was how much more light you had, whether there was a swimming pool, we usually tried to get to the swimming pool before it would get dark. And then everybody, you know, headed to the bar, whether they had their first drink before dinner or just started, you know, down at the bar and would have food there if they had it. They typically didn't have great food selections at the hotel. So we would try to go out or, or find something. Uh, but a lot of people ate, ate dinner at the hotel. Uh, and then, man, we had about 80 people in our group. Usually, most of us staying at the same hotel. We would just drink. There was so much drinking and just going over the day. And that's when you really started to get to know the teams. And it was really fun. It also got, it got, it could get exhausting. I mean, by day four or five, you're like, wow. But Actually, we had three full days of driving, and then uh, the third day was New Year's Eve. So we all took January 1st off, and there was no driving whatsoever. So that was a really nice break. Also a really fun New Year's Eve party. <laughs> but um, let me go ahead and get you back to the beginning of the official day one of the drive. And now that you know what a typical day is like, you will hear a bit from me about my impressions from that first day. Sunday morning here in Pondicherry. We have made it to the beginning of day two. We've got 230 kilometers to go. And you can hear that rumble of our Sally, which we have named our rickshaw in the background and all the morning traffic. But it's really not that bad on a Sunday morning, uh, comparatively speaking. We are headed to an orphanage to have a project visit organized by the rickshaw challenge and we're excited to see what they've got there and what we can how we can connect there peter is driving once again he drove almost all of yesterday uh, because it turns out he's a very good driver and i'm a very good navigator and i want to drive more day by day but it turns out having never driven a manual before i'm having a slower learning curve than i thought so uh working on it and yeah I'm going to get off here because i got to tell Peter to, when to turn next. We'll be back. So once Peter and I got on the road every day, the road, the road really varied. Sometimes it was full of traffic. When you're getting in and out of cities, it's always a lot more hectic. Lots of people just crossing the road on foot in front of you. Lots of people waving on the side of the street. You'd often hear people yelling out, calling out as you'd go by once they realized what your vehicle actually was and who was in there. Lots of smiles and uh, beautiful scenery. I mean, there were, I really remember one day when we were coming in and the sun was starting to set one of our later days and you pass through what has to be one of the largest wind farms in the world. And so on both sides of you are just these massive windmills and it just became really surreal and felt like we were 
in a, another land completely. And just some parts were so green. There were a lot of temples that you'd pass by. And we didn't see elephants or things like that. We didn't, it wasn't that part of India. Or it's not the part that you, like maybe you imagine you're going to see things like that. But um, no, it was just a lot of small towns. But what struck me is that these are places that you would never see if you were on the, a regular package tour in India. If you weren't ready to take on the challenge to get off the beaten path, you were never going to see these places. And so you were encountering people that had, maybe they had seen a rickshaw challenge the year before, but they really hadn't seen a lot of people that looked like you or that, you know, especially wearing these crazy costumes and hopefully making them smile. So we did discover too that on a typical day, you were faced with the, your two biggest challenges, speed bumps and potholes. There were a whole lot of potholes and there were an equal number of speed bumps. And the speed bumps, I think, were more dangerous because there was no standard look to them. You know, in the U.S., we love to put yellow on our speed bumps or put some, like, broken dotted lines across them. Not in India. You would have no idea until you were about to get on what was just a, a raised bit of concrete or something similar. And they sometimes look different, too. So, I mean, you don't want to hit your head on the roof too many times. So you really had to be a vigilant driver. And forget about it if you start to drive at night, which thankfully we only did once in a caravan, but that's another story. Um, so yeah, that was your typical day on the road. And now I'm going to give you an example of what the briefing would be during the morning uh, from a master organizer, if I must say so, Princely Jayatrandran. He was, he's a good friend of the guy who started the travel scientists. And I have to say, he did a wonderful job staying really positive, funny, and upbeat with this group of 80 people. They'd never had a group as big as ours was, but Princely took on the challenge. And as you'll hear in the clip, he is a funny guy and he does his very best to give us the information, but also allow us to enjoy it at the same time. And you'll also hear in his briefing a little bit about New Year's Eve and what we were in for there. And I have to say the New Year's Eve party was a definite highlight. I have no footage from being at the actual party, which is good because you might, I might blow your eardrums out with it. But I mean, to be in a room full of local Indian people dancing in what we think is like Bollywood style, mixed with Latin music, uh, was a lot of fun. It was so much fun. Like, it was open bar, like, free-flowing snacks and drinks the whole night. Well, at least until midnight. And then we had, like, fireworks going off on the stage. And it was just really, really fun. I'll never forget. Probably one of the most memorable New Year's Eves I've ever had in my life. So um, here is Princely. Hopefully, <laughs> I will add 
but you are lost, don't worry. Like, you know, when you, when you get the, the regain the memory, you can probably call me. You have the uh, number. Where you are you back? It actually happened to me. When I was, in, when I was doing uh, Mumbai Express, sorry, difference between yesterday and today is today, the last drive of 40 kilometers is on a highway. Six lane road, it's two sides, okay? Only you have to be careful about the speedy cars. Because India has a, a good market, BMW, Mercedes, everybody, Ferrari, even Ferrari came in, but they're not bothered about the road. They only bothered about the speed. So, uh, guys, kindly manage when, when you are overtaking maneuver in the express highway, it's a new one. So before the, the lorries will be a turtle in the highway, usually like you know, they keep it on 40, 50 kilometers to get the mileage. The other cars will be like 130 kilometers. So that would be a big paradox of speed there. Kindly, uh, when you, you have to overtake some trucks in between, so definitely there will be a chance to overtake. Make sure there is nothing on your behind to take the maneuver. One thing I did love about the rickshaw challenge was that you could really make this trip whatever you wanted to, as long as you got to the hotel safely, hopefully before sundown. So this next clip you're going to hear Peter and I have pulled over to the side of a road because Peter saw a brickyard and he was interested because he's a bricklayer. So there were a lot of moments like that where we saw things and we could just pull over and make that moment whatever we wanted. And I love that because a lot of organized tours or less adventurous type of trips, you don't find yourself being able to do that. Another team told me a story about how they went, they were driving through a small town and they found a school and they actually interacted with the kids for an hour or two and they said it was the best day they'd had yet because they had to make the day what they wanted. So that was a really cool aspect of the rickshaw challenge. Today I've driven the furthest that I've driven so far on this trip and it's day four. And uh, we've pulled over to the side of the road. We're almost to the area where our hotel is, but um, Peter saw a brickyard on the side of the road and he is talking with the owner of this brickyard or the operator and asking him questions and I'm back at the rickshaw watching our stuff. Um, we're on the side of a road which is why you can hear a lot of buses and the traffic of our everyday um, just in the background and I had a bit of a a bit of a scare earlier because um, once we got into a town we had to stop at a temple as one of our challenges I uh, I don't, I don't do well with narrow spaces with the rickshaw or uh, getting around. It was basically a narrow space problem, but I like swiped the side of a bus and the bus driver got really angry and a bunch of people came out. And I, you're not actually supposed to say you're sorry if you do get into an accident here because there could be liability and the owner will, or the other person will insist that you're liable. But I just said I'm sorry like right away and I heard him keep repeating sorry and then we had a really kind guy on a bike just tell him hey it's just a scratch like let him go and so he he did and suddenly everybody was was gone but I was like wanting Peter to drive again because still not completely confident with like keeping the clutch the clutch still isn't completely um 
the clutch still isn't natural to me. So when we when I'm in traffic, I just have a tendency to pull off of it. Um, and yeah, so I was a bit frustrated earlier today. Just um, frustrated that Peter wouldn't take over when I asked him to as we got into a town because I knew that I wasn't going to be confident with it. And I think he was trying to teach me a lesson. He was trying to, you know, teach me that I can get through these tough situations, but I was, uh, I didn't perform the way I thought I would. And, uh, or I kind of knew that these things might happen. And so, um, so he's driving again now, but we only have about 10 kilometers left and we should get to our hotel, but it's cool to see Peter being able to enjoy something that he, that he does at home, which is bricklaying. So this trip by far of any adventure challenge I've taken had the highest highs and the lowest lows. And in this next clip, you'll hear one of the lowest lows for us, which is what you might expect when you go to India, sickness. And actually Peter and I got really lucky because our sickness that we had like deli belly or whatever you want to call it, traveler's diarrhea, mine only lasted one day. And I took some equivalent of Imodium AD and was okay after yeah, maybe it's a day and a half. Peter, um, he, ha he ended up driving a lot more than I did. I would say he drove 90% of the time and I drove 10%. That was mostly to do with the fact that I just could not get the hang of manual driving in that kind of environment that quickly. But a lot of it also had to do with the fact that I was just a better navigator in the back than Peter. I'm like used to looking at a screen and following Google Maps and I could tell him when to turn. We just worked a lot better that way. So he was get he was a lot more exhausted every day than I was with all the driving. So when he got sick, it kind of lingered for him two and a half to three days, I would say. So, and you, you do go through things. I mean, the weather, uh, we actually had very good weather the whole time, which is partly why they have the classic run that time of the year. But you know, just the, the dirt and hitting speed bump after speed bump, just the wear and tear that you start to feel, being out in the sun every day, um, drinking every night with all your friends at the hotel. So there were, you know, your body could definitely feel it. And in this clip, as I said, you'll hear a day when we were feeling it. So today, officially day five of the rickshaw challenge was the hardest we have ever experienced as my team, even though it was the shortest distance because um, we both, Peter and I both woke up not feeling well. And by the end of the day, Peter was feeling so bad that he was putting his head down on the steering wheel and couldn't even, like he, he just couldn't even drive me back to the hotel. So I took over once we drove to a waterfall and was told that the waterfall was 20 kilometers from where everybody thought it was, so we couldn't even take a photo with it. But um, I was able to get us back, but I still had a few awkward moments where I did, I shifted at the wrong time and couldn't get the driving uh, up to where it needed to be, especially in traffic. I'm still quite nervous, but um, yeah, as soon as we got back to the hotel and checked in, Peter went to bed immediately. He was so exhausted, but he's been doing a lot better tonight. And he uh, went and hung out with his Australian friends back by the swimming pool. But it all in all was a difficult day for both of us. So, 
but we have made it, and tomorrow we have a longer drive, but hopefully we have another day off following that, so we should be in good spirits when we arrive. So thankfully by the next day, Peter got his energy back, and um, we could carry on with the last couple of days of the challenge. The day off that I mentioned in the last clip was another highlight of the trip. Um, there was a festival going on in the state of Tamil Nadu when we were there, and it, it's called Pongal, which is a harvest festival. And the founder of the travel scientists, his name is Aravind, he actually took us to his family farm, and his father showed us all around the farm, all the things they were growing. And then we were all taken to an area where we each got into our teams, and we had like a pot over a fire, and we're just standing in the dirt trying to cook pongal, which is a sweetened rice, and you put various herbs and spices in it. Uh, also a very, very common food in southern India. So we all had to try to make this pongal, and it was a cooking contest. And we had to take flowers and anything we could find around, pieces of fruit they'd cut up for us and decorate our pongal at the end. Sadly, Peter and I did not win, but it was a lot of fun because we all got to... We actually didn't eat our pongal. They took it away and we never ate it. But after that, they gave us all banana leaves and we ate different food that they had prepared for us with our hands, which is how you eat in many parts of India. It was dark by the time we left and they lined all of us up in a row and we had to stay in a tight line as a caravan to go back to our hotel. And I decided to drive that because Peter had already driven so much that day. And it was definitely a highlight for me. I felt really accomplished at the end of that drive. It was probably a 30 minute drive back and we drove very slowly, but we were on the highway and people are passing you in the dark. And I just thought this is a good chance for me too, because there won't be any navigating and it's just get, get there. So that was a really cool day, especially when we got to dress up in traditional dress and we had all these paparazzi local people just filming us and taking our photos all the time. Turns out we were in several local newspapers and YouTube videos and everything. It was, it was really funny. Um, so we got to our last day and our last day was the, the shortest driving day we had. It was about, I believe like 70 kilometers. So we're like, great, we're going to be done by noon. We're going to be to the hotel. There were very few challenges that day. But it turns out that Peter and I, on the very last day, were due to face our biggest challenge of the whole week. We're in our last 5K of this rickshaw race, and oh my goodness, today was in some way the most exciting day of our, the shortest drive, but the most exciting day because about an hour into the drive or less, we had a crash. We actually crashed our rickshaw. It was totally out of the blue, like we didn't expect. We didn't even know what happened, really. I think our back right wheel caught an edge of like a barrier in the road, and then we hit a truck on the other side. And um, next thing you know, like we flipped over, and I had to be pulled out. But for some reason, my first instinct was grab your passport and grab all your bags. So I was just standing around trying to grab all these bags out of the rickshaw and like lift them over the side of it. and. I mean, at first I, I made sure Peter was all right. I could see him in front of me, like standing up and getting out of the car and walking but, and everything. But uh, we were so scared, we were so shaken. But the Indian people around us, like a crowd came around really quickly and they were so friendly. They were just, one guy was there like, sit down, it's okay, stay calm, stay calm. And they were like putting, they got into our first aid kit and were, you, you know, we're 
rubbing my knee with alcohol. Peter has a scrape on his forehead. He looks like Rambo. He's like bleeding from his forehead. I was, my right knee has a, a big, pretty good scrape on it, but we're just so happy to be alive. And this rickshaw has made us so appreciative of that. And we're probably not getting our deposit back. We had to put a thousand euro deposit down on this rickshaw and probably we've done a, a good deal of damage to her. But amazingly, Sally, car number 32, was able to run. You can hear her running. Like she had no engine problems. We've just had structural damage. Um, and I guess we've just had structural damage. So I'll update more as we after uh, we, we pull into our hotel. But this has just been an amazing and wild adventure and a challenge for sure. I have to say that because of the crash, this adventure trip of the rickshaw challenge was the most memorable and impactful that I ever had because I actually had my life flash before my eyes and to come through it so with just a couple of scratches really and to even have our rickshaw still be able to function and get us to a safe place where we needed to be was just amazing. And uh, I'm so grateful that nothing happened to Peter and that we were both able to get back to that hotel safely from there. And they didn't even make us pay anything back for the deposit. It was just unbelievable. And it really makes you remember to live every moment to the fullest. You really never know what may happen in the very next moment. So every moment that you're living, appreciate it and dwell in the energy that it's bringing you. So I also want to give a quick shout out to the Blue Crew, another rickshaw team who were the first to see us after the crash and they let us use their phone to call Princely because we didn't have local sims. So thank you so much to them. Um, and also, I, I haven't mentioned this, but there were so many incredible teams on the rickshaw challenge. As I said, there were 32 teams in total from all over the world. But what was remarkable to me is that unlike the rickshaw run documentary that had inspired me to do this, there weren't that many young teams. There were a lot of teams that were in their 30s and up and a lot of teams over 60. We had a guy who was 80 years old that had dementia who was driving for his team. And he said it actually did wonders or he felt comfortable driving that even with the dementia because the intensity of his focus that he needed to drive with all the things going on around him made him like stay in the moment a lot more than usual. And it, the only thing he experienced was that every now and then he'd completely forget where he was. So um, he was, I mean, how brave is this person to come over on the rickshaw challenge uh, knowing what he's about to get into? I think he had been in the Royal Air Force we had another team, a, a mother and son, and the mother has a degenerative muscular disease and was, I think, in about her 50s. And her son was about 20 years old and did all the driving for, for them. I think he got assistance from a couple other guys on, on, on other teams of three a few times, but I was just amazed by them and how kind he was and how brave she was. You know, I mean, these teams... So the people you meet on these kind of adventure challenges are just amazing. And I would say it's a great benefit for going on what I would call an adventure trip instead of just an organized tour of a city or something like that. You're going to meet the most interesting people you've ever met before. And 
it's you realize that you're not the only one who's up for these kind of things. And that bond can continue for years and years. I still talk to people I connected with on safaris in Africa or climbing Mount Kilimanjaro, uh, things like that. Like these experiences are going to stay with you and you feel so accomplished at the end of them and you really felt like you saw a part of the country, a part of this earth, I should say, that, you know, a lot of people don't see. And these extreme environments provide spontaneity that is unparalleled in your everyday life. And I also think that more and more we are losing the wild places in the world. And this is not to say that where we went in Southern India is a wild off the beaten path place, but, you know, I think adventure challenges, adventure trips often take you into these places and these places are precious and we're losing them. And I think it's better to do it now as soon as you can, rather than wait 20 to 30 more years, depending on when you were planning on doing these, these trips. Our planet is rapidly changing and the wild, the, nature that we that we have known up to this point is is we're losing it so i that's a, that's a reason that i've always felt so passionate about going on long treks long hikes out in the wild or putting yourself in wild situations that that kind of demand you to rise to like a better self which i think was more what happened with the rickshaw challenge and meeting such amazing people both in India and fellow rickshaw drivers. Um, it's, a, it's an experience I'll never forget. I highly recommend anyone to go on an adventure trip. I know that driving a rickshaw is not for everybody. Um, the, the travel scientists or even the, another company called The Adventurists, if you're interested, they do run a lot of other types of trips um, in Eastern Europe, in like... Uh, Sri Lanka, other uh, several other places. If you're interested, you can check them out. And uh, as I said, I'm going to put more photos of our of Peter and I's adventures on my website, theschooltravels.com. Uh, and finally, I want to give a huge shout out and appreciation to my partner Peter, who didn't know me before this trip. He really took a leap of faith. He is the kindest father of two running his own company, building homes, laying bricks in Australia, and is just a genuinely good guy. And so thank you, Peter, for being who you are and for helping me and being my teammate. Um, I wish you many more adventures in the future. And thank you, listeners, for coming with me on this journey. And I know it ended up getting a little bit long, didn't it? <laughs> but um, I hope that maybe this has, inspi has inspired you to take a trip that you've always wanted to take. And go on an adventure. Do an adventure tour. I, I do like the tours and the way it was it's organized. And the winning team for our rickshaw challenge was called the Super Marios. And it was a group of three British people, a husband and wife, and the father, I think, of the of the wife, the wife's dad. And the the father did most of the driving, but at the end they kept their rickshaw after our challenge. They organized with the company to keep their rickshaw and the husband and wife continued driving for, I don't even know how much longer, another week or two. They loved it so much and they were able to use the Wi-Fi and everything and find their way just all on their own with no support. And I think 
that's amazing and you can do that. You can do whatever you put your mind to in this life and if adventure is what you're looking for, it is out there. I hope you enjoyed this solo episode and I will see you next week, listeners. Thanks for listening to the School of Travels podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love for you to subscribe and leave us a rating wherever you get your podcasts. Special thanks to The Sam Chase for allowing us to use their song, In a Perfect World. Don't forget to join us next week for another episode, and remember to always let travel be your teacher. If you keep your options open, there are places you will go. They will treat you like the kings and queens your parents thought you'd be when you were born. You'd see it all with your head up standing tall, and you'd look back and think it's funny how you spent your time and money in this world. Living in this perfect world.